Good morning. Uh, my name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace Community Church. And I doubt seriously you hate daylight savings time more than I do. I really do not like this day of the, uh, of the year. What's that? Yeah, house full of teenagers. Or the ACC championship game is on the night before. Late. And it's a close game, of course. And so... Late getting to sleep. Well, glad you made it this morning. This is a perfect opportunity for me to say this and maybe sound like I'm not, you know, fussing too much. You know, it, it's, it was hard to get here this morning. Probably some people woke up and said, oh, man, missed it or slept later than I anticipated. So there is a good reason that so many of you missed the announcements in the first song this morning. But next week, we should be used to it. Try to be here. The music is a very important part of the entire worship service. And the words to the songs have a lot to say about the message. So I'm serious. Next Sunday, be here on time. Okay? On time. You can do this. Now, of course, I won't be here next Sunday. But... uh, I won't be here at all. I won't be late because I won't be here. Well, let's, uh, and also let me just say this. Uh, First Sunday in April is our discovery lunch. If you've been coming to Grace for a couple of weeks, you're just now finding out about Grace and coming and visiting, we would love for you to come and, and meet with our elders after the service, our elders and our staff, and just get to ask some questions maybe that you have about our church and then following that the week after the second week of April we will be beginning our Grace Connection class Uh, and that's for those who want to know more about Grace or those who are interested in membership um, um, we will be culminating this last class with a number of people joining on Easter Sunday looking forward to that and it was a great word uh, by both David and uh, Josh this morning about sharing the gospel with people, inviting people to come to church on Easter. Uh, I, I appreciated so much Josh asking that question. Remember the first time you heard the gospel? It just it happens this way. We're just moving uh, toward a a series of sermons on evangelism, the importance of sharing. The gospel. This morning's message is going to be what the gospel is. Probably uh, more information than application. Not probably. There's definitely more information than application. But it's very important that we know what the gospel is. So that when we go to share with people who don't have hope of eternal life. Because they're outside of Christ. That you'll know what it is that God has deemed the message for us to know in order to be saved. Well, let me begin this morning by asking how many close relationships would you say that you have? It, 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 life is just, it's funny. You may have a lot of close relationships when you're young and not very many when you're older. Or it may be the exact opposite. You might not have too many early on, but then you build them as you go. Uh, You have some people that you see every day. You're close with those people. Others that you see every week. Some that you see on holidays and special occasions. And others that you almost never see. But when you do see them and you start talking, it's almost like you never were apart. You just pick up right where you left off. So how do you stay connected with those people with whom you are close? And people that you don't see that often. Uh, it's a lot different now than it was 30 to 40 years ago. Look, if you live 8 to 10 hours away from home like I did when you're going to college, you know, you call your parents, collect, and say, hey, I should be there somewhere between 8 and 10 o'clock in the evening if something doesn't happen. Two-lane roads, all that kind of stuff, road work everywhere. And, and, and of course, if you had enough quarters, you wouldn't have to call, collect, but you need those for laundry. So why would you, why would you not call, collect if you're 19 years old? For the past several weeks, we've been studying the book of Hebrews on Sunday morning. Uh, We're going to take a break these next two weeks, Palm Sunday and Easter. For for Holy Week, we'll be out of Hebrews. Uh, Next Sunday, I'm so excited about preaching at Union Church in Washington, D.C. I almost thought about saying, hey, write 
letters of encouragement to Sean and Melissa. And make sure you get them here by Wednesday and I'll take them up there. But I will send to them how very much we care about them and, and how much we're praying for them as they plant in Washington, D.C. Uh, Allison and I are going to get to spend a couple of days with them. Allison is actually with a friend this weekend uh, out of town. Ricky Mill is going to be preaching here next Sunday. Uh, Although a lot of you will be at TVR for a family retreat. And then on April 3rd, David Calvert is going to be preaching and bringing a lot of information from his PhD studies at Southeastern Worship and Theology about um, uh, um, covenant and the ways that the Sunday morning service is a very important part of our covenant with the Lord. So you you are going to be blessed by that message. We've been talking about it a lot. So back to the original question. How do you stay connected with people who are important in your life, whether near or far? In one generation, things have changed dramatically from uh, long letters written, handwritten letters written in cursive to Skyping with someone literally on the other side of the world, looking at Davo, Philippines, and then you look south of that, even farther away is Australia, and we, on a fairly regular basis, will Skype with people in Australia. No hesitation, no wait, you have to wait two minutes or two seconds to hear what was said just a while ago. It's just immediate connection. But how do you stay connected with someone that you can't see and you don't have that technology to help you? Ultimately, of course, I'm asking how is it that we can stay connected with a God who we very much love but do not see? There are multiple ways to interact with the Lord that He has provided. But but we must begin with His instructions to us about how to rightly relate with Him. And those instructions, of course, are found in Scripture. Our text today is Hebrews 9, 1 through 22. It focuses on the blood of Jesus, as David told us earlier. Today's text talks a whole lot about the tabernacle which instructed Moses, which God instructed Moses to build as a place for people to interact with him. How much do you know about the tabernacle? Some of you probably know a great deal. All of the Old Testament um, structures and, and practices were designed to point us to Jesus. And by the way, one other thing I do want to mention on on. March the 30th, Alice and I will be gone. I'm going to be on vacation that week. But on March the 30th, that Wednesday night, we're going to be having a Seder meal here at Grace. And you'll see how much the Passover meal pointed to Jesus. Well, the tabernacle did as well and the worship in the tabernacle. Now, look, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that when I come to the to the instructions about the tabernacle in the Old Testament that I'm going to say, oh man, I'm really, this is really interesting, riveting stuff, and I've got to figure this all out. It, it starts getting the dimensions, and I, I just get lost. Now, now, Dexter Wells, on the other hand, we talk about this. Dexter just loves that stuff. You know, he's reading through the Old Testament, he and Kathy, and, and he's like, man, when I get to that, I am fascinated. But Dexter's a master craftsman. He works with wood, he works with dimensions. Whenever I work with wood, I also work with a sterilized needle because I'm trying to dig a splinter out of my hand. It's just, it, it, you would not want me to build a dog. You wouldn't want me to build a square box for you. you just, that wouldn't be a, a good idea. And it's not, so I typically tend to move rather quickly. And I'll be honest with you. One of the things that was exciting to me about preaching through the book of Hebrews was that I would have to study the tabernacle more. And I did, and I, I have a better grasp of it after today. Because this text is so long, we'll be kind of moving quickly. And if it feels like, well, look, just hang in there and, and get what you can. And then when we come to the application at the end, it'll, it'll be worth the journey. Uh, God's attention to detail in the tabernacle is just amazing. The author of Hebrews is making the point that the tabernacle 
points us to God's desire for intimacy with His people. But it also points to our sinfulness, which separates us from God and and puts barriers between us and God and, and to intimacy. In Christ, the barriers are broken down. So, since this is such a long text, for the second week in a row, we're going to forgo standing and reading the Scripture. And then uh, we are going to work our way through it after we pray and then find application at the end. But let's ask the Lord to uh, speak to our hearts before we examine His Word. Let's pray. Our Father... uh, We do pray as we come to you this morning that you would show us your majesty. Lord, the creation in a major way shows us your glory. And it even shows us your sovereignty and the ways that you are in control of all things. Lord, our consciences tell us that there is a higher power, a God who determines what is right and wrong. And as much as we would like to justify many of our sinful actions, we can't. Our consciences won't allow us. Lord, um, your word tells us specifically about your majesty and power. And it also Describes in detail your wonderful plan of redemption for a fallen people. We need to hear from you today. And so we ask that you would give us understanding as we work our way through this great, great chapter. One that many have called the greatest in all of scripture. Of course, you could say that about so many different texts, Lord. It's your word and we need to hear from you. Speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin to look at Hebrews 9 today, there are going to be three contrasts that we're going to see over and over and over. First of all, the place of Jesus' offering was in heaven rather than on earth. What was on earth pointed to what's going on in heaven. And secondly, the blood of Jesus' sacrifice was his own. Rather than that of animals. It was animals sacrificed in the tabernacle. Now Jesus, the Lamb of God, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Spoke better than he knew. Because when Jesus didn't bring the kingdom in power like he will do when he comes the second time. John was put in prison and he's like, did I miss it? Did Did we miss it? Interestingly enough, as an aside, right when John spoke his worst Worst words about Jesus. Jesus spoke his best words about John. There's no one greater born among men under heaven. And it was a good bit because of what he was called to do. But Jesus had good things to say about the one even who doubted. So the blood of Jesus' sacrifice was his own rather than that of animals. The offering of the heavenly high priest, third, was eternal rather than and temporary. He's going to make that in. Uh, he's going to make that point. Uh, with a great deal of repetition. And, 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 and if you are a, a serious note taker. It's probably going to frustrate you. That we're going to move on. If you haven't had time to write. But don't worry. You're going to review these in home group. Which is why it's so important. Let's get to the text. Verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. Let me just stop right here. We're talking about Old Covenant, New Covenant. That's what we talked about last week. Old Testament, New Testament. Law, Gospel. Not that it's law in the Old Testament, Gospel in the New. But law is all the way through. God deals with us either according to His law. If we do not believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ then he deals with us according to law. And those who were saved in the Old Testament were saved like Abraham. They believed the promises of God. And that's what we do with Jesus. We believe the promises of God in Jesus. So salvation was the same, old and new, believing the promises of God. We have a better understanding of what God's 
plan and dealings with us is through Jesus. But law and gospel, old covenant, new covenant. Uh, Now the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the law, had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. God made a way for his people to approach him in an elaborate tent called the tabernacle. But tabernacle worship was quite restrictive. The Jewish people were like, this was the best illustration that I can find. And it's really not going to show you too much. But the Jewish people were allowed in the courtyard. At the very front of the, as you, as you enter the, into the tabernacle, there is the brazen altar on which... Animals were sacrificed right beside it, and then they were roasted on that brazen altar. And behind that, there's a a laver, a a brass laver, bronze laver, where there were ceremonial washings and cleansings uh, after the animals were sacrificed. Uh, Near the back of the courtyard was the tent of the meeting, which is kind of open on this, uh, this drawing. To give you an idea of what's inside it. But it's divided into two places. That blue section toward the back is another tent. In the front section, it's a place called the holy place. And there are the golden lampstands. There are seven uh, branches of this lampstand. One in the middle and three on either side. Uh, And then there's also uh, in there the showbread. The table of showbread. Twelve pieces of bread were put on there every week to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And then also uh, there was um, the, the altar of incense that was right towards the back of uh, the, the holy place. The first section in there is called the holy place. The last section is called the most holy place. The closer you were to the most holy place, the more restrictive and particular your movements were. Now, the altar of incense, which is right at the back of the holy place, and, and, and right by the curtain which separated the holy place from the most holy place, um, had incense burned every day. The, the, the priest would go in this holy place every single day. And God's instructions were so specific and it was so important that you keep it exactly as he said. You may recall Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, offered the wrong kind of incense. They burned the wrong kind of incense on this table of incense. And God immediately put them to death with fire from heaven. That's pretty serious. And you you want to know how serious it is beyond that? He told Aaron, don't grieve. Don't change your clothes. You don't mess with my holiness. Was the word. Then verse 3. Behind the second curtain in the very back. Was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, an Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of gold overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, if you're paying attention, there seems to be somewhat of an inconsistency here. You'll notice in verse 3 that the author says that the golden altar of incense was inside the most holy place. It was in the holy place, not the most holy place. It was right up against the curtain. And then furthermore, the writer says that the Ark of the Covenant housed the tablets of the covenant, or the Ten Commandments, plus a jar of manna, and also Aaron's staff that budded. The Old Testament tells us that only... The tablets of the commandment were inside the Ark of the Covenant. And that Aaron's rod that budded and also the jar of manna were placed in front of the uh, Ark of the Covenant. So what gives with these inconsistencies? Well first, we should agree that the author of Hebrews knew what he was talking about. 
He, he wasn't confused about the facts. The altar of the incense was often associated with ministry in the most holy place. The incense would go into that room, the most holy place. And cover the high priest as he was there once a year. Also, there were Jewish traditions that placed both the manna and the rods in the Ark of the Covenant as well as the tablet, uh, the Ten Commandments. And I bet you thought they were all three in there anyway, didn't you? Because of this verse in Hebrews, we understand that. And they very well may have been placed in there later. There was a Jewish tradition that had them placed in there. So... This was all in keeping with the understanding of the people of the day. And they knew exactly what he meant when he said that the most holy place had the altar of incense in it. It was so connected. And just about the time you're ready to think about it more deeply, the author says in verse 5, but look, we don't have time to talk about that. That's not the point. Let's move on. Verse 6. These preparations... Having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second section, into the most holy place, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So the priests performed daily services in the holy place. They were lighting the candles, trimming the wicks, changing out the showbread, burning incense. Every day there, were, there was a lot that went on in the holy place. But only the Levites were allowed in there. The people of Israel were allowed in the outer court. Only the Levites were allowed into uh, the tent of meeting. If you were not a Levite, you best not be in the tent of meeting. And if you were a Levite who served in the tent of meeting, then you had best do so according to God's instructions. Yahweh was quite particular about the service performed by the ministers of his people. So, daily service in the holy place, but only once a year. Did one person, the high priest, go into the most holy place and he could not go without blood? The high priest would first carry the blood of a bull, then the blood of a goat. And he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which was the lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant. The cover was adorned by two golden cherubim. Or angels with their wings outstretched and their faces down, symbolizing the holiness of God. The mercy seat in all of the tabernacle, in all of the Jewish people's dealings, whether in the tabernacle or in the temple, the mercy seat most directly represented the presence of God amongst the people. And when the priest would go in, he would sprinkle blood on this mercy seat, on this covering of the Ark of the Covenant. And when he did, the judgment of God was transformed into the grace and mercy of God. The fact that fresh blood had to be shed every year indicated that this sacrificial system was ultimately not effective. It was just an outward cleansing, more of an outward cleansing than it was a full forgiveness of sins, as the next verse shows. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is standing, is standing which is symbolic for the present age. Now, the present age, by the way, the, the author is referring to the age of sacrifice. And so he's saying... As long as um, this fresh blood has to be shed, then, then the way to the most holy place is not open. The presence of God is only enjoyed by one person one time a year. And in fact, I don't think any high priest would say, you know, I'm really looking forward to the, the Day of Atonement when I get to go in there. I mean, if he did it wrong, God, God would strike him dead. And he knew that. He went in with fear and trembling. Everything had to be just exactly right. 
So as long as this first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age, then nothing good ultimately is happening. Nothing eternal is happening. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. I can't wash this off of me. What I've done, I can't wash it off of me. Once a year, there would be a washing, but it didn't hold. So, Hebrews 9 presents the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant and the magnificent benefits of the new covenant. The author speaks in verse 8 of the near absolute restriction of the people of God into God's presence under the old covenant. And as already been noted, the cleansing was external and temporary. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, they have now come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal salvation or eternal redemption. Here it is. Here it all is right here. This is it. This is the point of Hebrews. It's different now. It's not do the best you can and go to confession once a year. Well, it's daily confession, but, but truly the big confession is once a year. Doing good will never be enough to allow you into the presence of God. But Jesus made sacrifice on our behalf. It's already been said. He didn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sins because he's perfect. He has offered sacrifice for us. This is the first of four times over chapters 9 and 10 that the reality of once for all is stated. Once for all. So, a couple of questions. Is the heavenly tent a material one? Or is it not really material? It's just symbolic what he's talking about. Almost certainly not. John pointed out in Revelation 21 that he saw no temple in heaven. Do you remember why? Because the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb or Jesus is the temple. That's John's grammar and it's good theology. The Lord God Almighty and Jesus is the temple. So it's almost certain that there was not this heavenly tent set up that's, that, that, that's a real tent. And that Jesus literally carried his blood into the, the, the most holy place or into the presence of God. Because, um, well, it, it was a good reason, but it's gone from my head now. Uh, <clears throat> but, but God accepted Jesus' offering by means of his Sacrifice, his eternal sacrifice, and that was accomplished at Calvary. Remember, the resurrection proved that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. So it's not like he has to go in with his own blood. He pled for us at Calvary. How important was Jesus' sacrifice? Verse 13. For the blood of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of a defiled person, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, that's Numbers 19, we got Exodus 24, Numbers 19, we got all kinds of Old Testament scripture coming together here. If they sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Not only outward cleansing, 
but inward cleansing, the forgiveness of sins, and a clean conscience. If the blood of bulls and goats temporarily cleanse God's people outwardly, his argument is, how much more will the blood of, of Jesus cleanse us, and not only outwardly, but inwardly, our consciences, our hearts, our minds, everything is cleansed by the blood of Christ. And when Jesus cleanses us from dead works, it refers not only to the wicked sins that make us unworthy to stand before God, but, but also the good works that people share and do and, 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 and depend on to make them right before a holy God. Good works will never please a holy God. Only the sacrifice of Jesus. Verse 15. Therefore he is the mediator. Intermediary. Of a new covenant. So that. Those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death that has occurred. That redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. A death has occurred that redeems them from the the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Look, the, the author here is talking about the fact that somebody had to die. In our day, if you write a will, you must die, if you're the writer of the will, in order for it to go in to effect it wasn't necessarily so in the ancient world he's saying here somebody has to die in order for the new covenant to take a take take effect the old covenant saw animals as temporary covenant uh, coverings the blood of animals as temporary covenants coverings when jesus died the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant took place verse 18 therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. You remember that from last week, Exodus 24, when Moses read the, the conditions of the covenant, he threw blood on the altar, and the people said, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded, and he threw blood on them. Not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, <coughs> he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. That's from Numbers 19, the ashes of a red heifer and the blood there. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So, when Moses sprinkled the blood on the people, it signified if you do not keep the the Laws that have been commanded in this covenant. Then blood be on you. Your blood will be shed. And the point of Hebrews 9 is that Jesus' blood was shed in the place of sinful men and women. For the cleansing of the people. Because they were never going to be able to keep the law. How important is the blood of Jesus? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Don't let anyone tell you that the blood of Jesus is not important. There are a lot of people who would like to keep the law for their justification who say, look, Jesus died as a martyr. Jesus died as an example uh, of those who care deeply about social justice. Jesus did care deeply about social justice. But he died because we had a sin problem. And only those who repent of their sins. And put their hope of heaven in Jesus' sacrificial death. Will be saved. Without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sins. And that is the bare bones explanation of what's being taught so far in Hebrews 9. I debated cutting some of the explanation to give more time for application. But 
How can you apply something you don't really understand fully? This truth goes all over Scripture and impacts every facet of our lives with Christ. And besides, that's why home group is so important. You're going to have time to flesh all of this out at your group meeting this week. But before we end, let's consider a few lessons from Hebrews 9. First, God desires intimacy with His people, but our sin is a problem. Remember, the tabernacle is evidence for both God's desire to dwell amongst His people and our sin that puts up barriers between us and God. Our sin keeps us from God. The tabernacle moved with the people, or rather we should say the people moved with the tabernacle. When God said, okay, it's time to move, the cloud of glory that stayed over the tabernacle moved and he would then, the people would then move with him. It's um, daylight savings time, I'm telling you. Cursed be. Lee Williford said he's running for president on that platform to abolish daylight savings time. I started to ask him how he felt about a number of other issues and then said, just forget it, I'm voting for you. <laughs> when the tabernacle moved, it represented, when it, when it moved, when it stayed put, it represented the presence of God among his people. Even under the old covenant, intimacy with God was achieved by a lot of people. Maybe King David is the best example of that. The best picture of someone under the old covenant being intimate with the Lord. But until God made a better way, God's covenant people were restricted in access to the presence of God. But the Lord did make a better way, which is the focus of the second point. Jesus' blood grants us access into the very presence of God as those who have been cleansed from their sins. This theme is often addressed in Hebrews. Really, so far these first two points of application are just telling us what we already know. But think about how important this is. Jesus died for our sins once and for all, we have been fully forgiven on the basis of his sacrifice. Isn't it something that even with the knowledge of this, the, the, the members of this persecuted church, this small persecuted church in Rome, who were mostly Jewish believers, were thinking about abandoning their faith in Christ's sacrifice and going back to the law as a means for their justification before God. Such a decision has already received harsh treatment by the author of Hebrews, and that's going to continue. Can you imagine, again, just think about, you're just wanting to say, look, I'm still going to worship God, but man, Christians are dying. They're being put on crosses and covered in pitch and, and, and lit on fire as the people mock and say, light of the world, thank you for giving us light today. So they're still going to worship God, only not worship God through Jesus. And the author said, this is an eternal decision that you're making. And it's a bad decision. It's an eternal decision in the wrong way. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sins. That doesn't mean that sin is to be taken lightly, though. Oh, great. Now I'm a Christian. I can do what I want to do. Remember, we're saved from dead works or works that lead to death. The blood of Christ shed for our sins was offered once for all, for all of our sins. But it continues to have positive implications for our everyday lives. Thus, our final point. Jesus' blood continues to cleanse us from daily sins. Look, we've seen in Hebrews, it just takes us all over the New Testament. It, it, it helps to amplify and explain um, at, at, at the fullest levels the truth that we find in other places of Scripture. So it's, 
it's appropriate to finish our time in 1 John chapter 1, which talks about the, the, the significance of Jesus' blood for his people. So let's look at 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Isn't that what Hebrews 9 tells us about the tabernacle, how that God is light? He's holy, and now with Him living in us, we are to reflect His light and radiate His light. Verse 6, right after saying that God is light, He says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if we claim to live a godly life while we're secretly sinning, then we're hypocrites. I'm happy to inform you that this admonishment does not apply to any of us here today. Not more than 150, 200 of us anyway. But there's a cure for hypocrisy. It's confession of sin or repentance. Verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Under the old covenant, God temporarily forgave the sins of his people when they brought an offering of the blood of bulls and goats to the tabernacle or later to the temple. When we believe that Jesus died in our place, we are completely forgiven of our sins. And Jesus' righteousness is credited to us. But because the old nature lives inside of us, that Adam part of us, part of us that's connected to Adam, we will sin until the day that we die. Well, not me. You may be the worst sinner if you think that. We will sin until the day that we die. Fortunately, God continues to forgive us on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice. <clears throat> when you're saved, you are forgiven. But every day, you get dirty. And every day you need to be cleansed by the blood of Christ, which is an ongoing thing. To walk in the light means to confess your sins and to live in the power of the Holy Spirit in the ways that God desires for His people to live. And not only do we have communion with Him when we do that, we have communion with one another. You know what it's like to just feel estranged from the people of God? Because you got this sin going on that you just don't want anybody to know about. Confess your sin to the Lord. Share your struggles with somebody that you can trust and someone who can help you be accountable and get past this problem that you have. To repent of your sin allows you to live with a gospel mindset. Praising God for His forgiveness. To revert to a mindset of law. In which I've got to do this, this, and this. If God's going to have anything to do with me. And the more I do, the better I am. And the worse I do, well, I'm just going to have to do better. That's why even the Christian bookstores are filled with... Their shelves are filled with how to be a better Christian. That's a law mindset. A gospel mindset says, oh God... Forgive me for my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. The mindset of law is dangerous, as verse 8 indicates. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see a pattern here? God is light. If we walk in darkness and we're being hypocrites, we're trying to deceive others, there's a problem. But there's a solution. The blood of Christ cleanses us as we confess. But if we continue in our sin, we're not only trying to deceive others, we start to deceive ourselves. You ever known someone who lied so much that he or she became to, came to believe his or her own lies? You know people like that, don't you? I mean, they tell you one thing today, and three days later, they tell you something entirely different. And you say, didn't you just tell me? Oh, I did not. I didn't say that. Or you know those who so readily, so quickly see the sins of others. 
But they've convinced themselves that they're living holy lives. John admonishes such people to quit playing games, to quit deceiving themselves. Better to come clean, which God offers in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These words, these verbs are written in the present tense, which means it's ongoing. He's talking to believers. You hear some people say today, we don't need to confess our sins. Because once we're forgiven, it's completely done. I was speaking with someone who was talking that way and said, How would you feel if you got to heaven? And God says, Why did you confess all those sin, sins when you didn't have to? I said, Well, how would you feel if you got there and you were supposed to confess all those sins? First John is written to believers. The Gospel of John says, I've written these things so that you might believe. In 1 John chapter 5, he says, these things are written to you because you have believed. And so that you may know that all these things are true. He's talking to believers and he's saying, you need to confess your sin. The word confess comes from the Greek word homologeo. I don't know a ton of Greek words. That's one I know. Homologeo. And it means to agree with God about your sin. That's what confession is. It's to say... Yes, Lord, I am who you say that I am. And I confess that. It's really more about that than it is asking forgiveness. It's confessing it. But forgiveness helps us when we say, Lord, please forgive me. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A clean conscience Remember from Hebrews 9, almost all things are cleansed by blood. That was outwardly. Inwardly, it's the same. To confess your sin means don't sugarcoat it. Tell it like it is. If you're racked with guilt, let the truth of 1 John 1, 9 wash over you. God forgives what you confess to Him and He cleanses you. Believe it. And then last in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Can you see this awful descent into a horrible place? I'm deceiving others. Now I'm deceiving myself. Now I'm calling God a liar. Like somebody shows you scripture. That's not what that means. And you've got it all worked out. You've got a whole system worked out. You've become God. God is a holy God. We see that in Hebrews. To step out of line in tabernacle service resulted in immediate death. Early in the days of the tabernacle anyway. The only hope for temporary forgiveness was an offering that acknowledged one's sins. And even acknowledged unintentional sins or sins of which they were ignorant. 1 John 1.10 describes a person. Who will even pervert scripture to claim his righteousness before the Lord. Do not ever claim perfection in this life. Ever! Because you never will be. It's that funny when you do. On the other hand, do Go to the Lord often and confess your sins. That's why, as I think I mentioned this recently, the first of Martin Luther's 95 theses is that the life of the believer is a life of continual repentance. And you know what that is? That, that sounds like, oh man, I got to say I'm sorry all day long. There is freedom in, in confession of sin. There is slavery in a failure to acknowledge Who you are before God. He is holy, but He's made a way for us to have direct access to Him. Live a gospel-saturated life, cleansed by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank You for the blood of the Lamb. If we get blood on our Clothes, we want to wash them as quickly as possible. Or maybe even throw them away. Oh, 
our sin required blood, a blood sacrifice. And rightly before a holy God. We have no hope of ever being clean enough to stand before you. But in Jesus, we do. We confess, Lord, this day that we are sinful people. Already saved, absolutely. Sinful, yes. We've sinned this day, whether we've known it or not. We long for the day when we are like you. When we are completely free, not only from the penalty of sin, but also the power and presence of sin. Thank you, dear Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, Father, for the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Spirit, for reminding us of our sin and of the cleansing that is ours when we confess our sin through the blood of Christ. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, because it's through Him we have access. Amen. Hi, my name's Gary Nelson, and I happen to be one of the deacons here uh, at Grace. Uh, before I get into the benediction, I just want to uh, real quick uh, say thank you to everybody that was here last weekend. Uh, Saturday we had a, a work day, and I don't know the exact numbers. Uh, we probably had over 30 volunteers that came here and spent the morning. And uh, you'll see out in front there, we pruned trees, pulled out dead shrubs, trimmed more shrubs. Well, we got 14 yards of uh, mulch, was it? 12 10 or 12 yards of mulch, uh, and then we had people in here cleaning out the closets, and we made several runs to the dump. So from the deacon board, you saved us a lot of work and grief and aggravation, so we sincerely say thank you to everybody that was able to attend, and uh, we appreciate it. And today's uh, benediction is from uh, Paul's uh, farewell to the Church of Corinth. Aim for perfection, listen to my appeal. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.